I'm going to read from <clears throat> from Romans, the eighth chapter. I'm going to start at verse one. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation to those that have been placed and positioned in Christ. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free, has freed me from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it brought out just the weakness of the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of, of sinful flesh, in the likeness meaning he had no sin nature, and for a sin sacrifice, condemn sin in his body. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, who don't mind the things of the flesh, but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they, they that are after the spirit, the, the things of the spirit, the Holy Spirit. And for what? For the minding of the flesh uh, is to be car carnally minded and experience death or separation from him. But to be minding, mindful, and to be led by the spirit indeed brings in the reality of who our life and peace is, and that's Christ. Because the carnal mind is enmity, against God, for it is not subject to the law of God. And the law of God, again, is Romans 8, verse 2. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So when we're in the flesh, we don't experience the position that we have in Christ. And so then, they that are in the flesh, they that are in the flesh, functioning experientially, cannot please God, don't experience his pleasure of who he's made us to be in the son of his love. But, but separated from that, you are not in the flesh positionally, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. And of course, when you're born again, he does. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead will also enliven, bring life into your mortal bodies by and through his spirit that dwells in you. Therefore, because of this, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh, that old sin nature, the fallen ruined nature, for if you live after the flesh, you will experience death, spiritual death. But if, through the Spirit, do mortify, and mortify just means simply means to render useless, to, to, to render as, as it is positionally dead, mortify the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they experience true sonship, because they're of God through Christ. For you have not received the spirit of bondage, again, to live in fear in your experience, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Daddy, Father, Father. The spirit itself is the one that bears witness with our human spirits that we are the children of God. We are his children. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be, 
that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I reckon the sufferings of this present time. Boy, what a truth that is. And, and how many are experiencing that in Ukraine and in Russia and in all those countries surrounding that and even in us as we suffer with them as brought out in Romans chapter 12, verses 24, 25, and 26. For I reckon the sufferings of this present time are not even worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us and on us, all around us and over us. For, this, for the earnest expectation of the creature waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. All of creation is waiting for that. All of it. It's amazing when we think about it. For the creature was made subject to vanity, emptiness, not willingly, but by reason of him who subjected the same in hope. Because the creature, the creation, the creature itself, it's, itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty, the children of God. This is not only for us in Christ that we have right now positionally, but ultimately on the earth in the millennial reign. And if you read he, um, Isaiah, the 11th chapter, read those one through six, you'll see how even the even those creatures, these, those creations, those animals and so forth, will be able to function as God had intended them to be because Christ now has dominion during the millennial reign on the earth. And this is what this is bringing out. Verse 22, For we know that the whole creation groans and travails together and pain together, even up till now. And not only they, but ourselves also. Also. Which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves. Do you remember when Jesus was at the grave of Lazarus and all those were weeping? It says in John 11, remember he told them when he said to Mary, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet will he live. That's John 11, 25 and 26. But when they were at the grave of Lazarus and he saw what death was doing and how the pain that it caused in so many that were right there with him in his identification in John 11, verse 33, it says he groaned. That he was suffering, groaning in a righteous sense. And uh, then also in 11.35 of John, he wept. And so we see that, not only they, but ourselves also, because we have the first fruits of the Spirit. That's who we are in Christ and what he's accomplished. Even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. And those are the new bodies that we, we're groaning in these right now. We're groaning, right? <laughs> Right? All of us, right? Right? And so we're groaning, but we're going to get these brand new resurrection bodies when we're raptured and when we meet them. And then they from heaven, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, they from heaven, and if we're not, and then when we're raptured, we all meet. And then we receive these brand new bodies in Philippians 3 and verse 21. 
And what a beautiful thing that is. And so what, we're groaning the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope. Guarantee it's hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man sees, what does he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought to, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us. Think about that. So we have an intercession here on the earth when all we can do is groan and don't know the depth of it. And then we have Christ in heaven. So we have these two comforters in John 14, 16, and 17. So the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Can you put it in human language? For he that searches the minds knows what is the mind of the Spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. How does he make it? Who is the will of God that accomplished it all for us in John 4 verse 34? That's Christ, who we have in heaven. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Even what's going on to those precious believers in Ukraine and Russia and all those other countries there. It just, it just breaks my heart even when you think about even those young Russian men fighting and being used by evil and just don't even know why they're there. And I thought it was beautiful how some of those U Ukrainian people, when they captured some of these 18 and 19-year-olds, they were horrified. They were feeding them and loving them, which was just, just such an amazing thing to see. And uh, groaning with them. What an amazing thing to see that. And uh, we know that all things do work together for good to them that love God and to them who are the called according to God's purpose, which is Christ, and that can't fail. He won't fail. 1 Corinthians 13, 8, love never fails. He's not going to fail. He's not going to fail those people either. And they may mean it for evil, and they do. They do in Genesis 50, verse 20. But God, separated from that evil, means it, what? For good. Because God has invested his, himself he himself is good and he's invested himself in us and he can't fail. And he's done it for us individually. And he's done it for us as the church as a whole. And what an experience they must have. While well, we're here, knowing it in part, in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 12, they're seeing it fully. <laughs> but we're knowing it in part, but soon we're all going to meet in the clouds of the air. And we need to comfort one another with these things, as it says uh, there in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and, and verse 18. We need to comfort each other and to edify each other and to pray for each other. For whom he did foreknow, did God foreknow every single thing, those that were his, and knowing that they would be his, is he with them all the way, no matter what they're going through? And we can rest in that, right? For whom he did foreknow, he also did pre-plan, predestinate, actually conformed 
to the image of his son. To be, in the sense, it's being worked out experientially, but it's positionally established. And God before us, with those precious people in each of us in circumstances and situations. God for us, who against us, Romans 8.31. You know, when my enemies come against me, then I cry out to God because this I know. God's for me in Psalm 56 and verse 9. Every tear that they cry that are his, he bottles in Psalm 56 and verse 8. Their prayers, their prayers in Revelations 5 and verse 8, all those prayers, they are so precious to him, he keeps them in a bowl in that sense. They're kept. And uh, what a thing because they're conformed to the image of his son. And even with those that have, that in, in the, not that God would do it, but that he would use it. He would use the evil that they mean to bring his loved ones to him. That's right. Because in Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 1, for us that are in Christ, the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. Because born again, we go to be with him to be never separated. In Romans 8 and verse 35, who can separate us from the love of Christ? And they're suffering, but they're going through the valley of the shadow of death because that's all it is. That's all the evil that, can, that he can do and that they can do is just a shadow because of the substance of the love of God and how he's placed us in the love of his son in Colossians 1 and verse 13. Moreover, Moreover, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Notice that? He's the firstborn. Among who? All of them. Every single one of us. Moreover, whom he did pre-plan, predestinate in his foreknowledge. That foreknowledge in Isaiah 46 and verse 10. That foreknowledge in Acts 15 and verse 18. That that Jesus said. He said very clearly and beautifully and, and brought out. In John 13, verse 19, and 14, and verse 29, I tell you these things before they come to pass. This is prophecy. He's explaining all of that. That when they come to pass, you might believe. And when we believe in him who loves us and we experience love, what does that do to the fear? Keeps it out. Keeps us out. Keeps it out. Yes, and we can pray. And of course, with what's going on, you can see the fear and the horror on their faces. And in that sense, we groan. We groan for them in prayer and suffer like we do for each other. And even the comfort of God's love for each other and for them, there is going to be some groaning and there's going to be some suffering. But if we suffer with him in 2 Timothy 2.12, what are we going to do? We're going to reign with him. We're going to reign with him. Because we read it in Romans 8.18, we reckon, we logizomai, the Greek term, it's, accountants, it's an accountant's term. I reckon all up, all the suffering that every individual in Christ, that they ever suffered, they ever suffered, will pale in comparison to the glory that will be revealed in them and on them. And he just can't wait. That's, his, that's Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17. He, he said it, and I'll, and I'll show you, and I'll read this. This is his prayer. This is the Lord's true prayer, by the way. Again, John 17 is the Lord's prayer. He, this is the prayer that he prayed, and this is what he said in his desire, and this is what is waiting for those 
and what they pass through. What they pass through. In John 17 and verse 24, Father, I will that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am. Where is he right now? He's above everything. No more death, no more crying, no more fear or pain. The former things have passed away. He wipes away every tear in Revelations 21 and verse 4. That means they'll never have a memory of what they went through in time, but only out of what they had in Christ for all eternity. And an intimacy that nothing ever again will come in the way of. And then he said, write those things. Write, write the truth of Revelations 21 and verse 4. Write it in 21 verse 5. These sayings are what? They are true about who we are in Christ because of his faithfulness. It's really beautiful. And so he said, Father, I will that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world, before anything was created. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. <laughs> Boy. And I have declared unto them your nature, the very, your very essence, your character and your nature, revealed through your name. And will declare it. How often? For all eternity. He'll do it with us. He'll praise his Father with us for all eternity. And that's brought out in Psalm 22 and verse 22 in Hebrews 2 and verse 12. I've declared unto them, Everything about who you are and your will will be declared to them that the love wherewith you've loved me may be in them and I in them. And that's the fulfillment of what Jesus said in John 14, verse 1. Let not your mind and your emotions be troubled. Don't be overwhelmed with evil. No. Be overwhelmed with my love that overwhelms that evil. Not that you don't pray and not that you don't feel it, but we have a place to run to in Hebrews 4 and verse 14, 15 and 16. We run to one who's been through all that evil more than any other human being has ever tasted. He's tasted it to his father, but he did it for us. Let, don't allow your heart to be troubled, your mind and your emotions. Do you believe in God? Well, believe also in me. In my father's house, many rooms, many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you. But you know what Jesus is doing right now for every one of those, for every one of us, and every single one of those in that war-torn nation right now, on both sides and all around? You know what he's doing? He said, I'm preparing a place for you. Imagine that. He's preparing a place for us individually. That place is Revelations 2 and verse 17, where that individual, all of us in our own individuality, in our own unique portion, in our own vessel of an expression of who he is in us, will, will share that hidden manna. You know, Isaiah 45 and verse 3, it says, He will give us the treasures of darkness and hidden riches and secret places that you may know, and that means to experience me even in those dark places. And that's why it says in Philippians 3 and verse 10, I want to know him. That's what Paul said. And we all say that. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. But then there's a greater depth and intimacy through suffering, it says, through the fellowship of what? His sufferings. None of us, the, uh, as being in him, 
positioned in him and experientially. We would never suffer if he wasn't in us. But we share that suffering. That's what Paul was saying. Each of us has a measure of his suffering had he still been here, that we fill up because we're one with him. And we know that, that to be true, and we know it be, to be true based upon these particular scriptures, and we'll read these here. And this is for us to understand what's going on for those that are here, and even us that are here. When the enemy in Isaiah 59 and verse 19 comes in like a flood, the Spirit will lift up a standard against them. That standard is Christ in us. That standard is Christ in us and who we are in him. And then no weapon that's formed against us will prosper in Isaiah 54 and verse 17. And every tongue that rises against us, God will contemn. And he'll accuse in Revelations 12 and verse 10. Some have this battle, it's outward. Some of us have these battles that are inward, where the enemy comes against and intensifies. But you know, this is, this is to be us right here in Philippians 1 and verse 27. Only let your whole lifestyle be as it becomes the good news of Jesus Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast, immovable, in one spirit, with one mind, laboring together for the faith, the faith, all those teachings about who Christ is and who we are in him of the gospel, that good news. Here's, here's verse 28. And this is why we want, God wants us to understand prophecy because this is what it's going to keep out. Listen to what it says. And nothing terrified by your adversaries. No. And nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition. <laughs> that's right. Everything that they mean against you, that's a proof that, that it is evidence of how God's going to deal with them. <laughs> oh boy. But to, but to you of salvation. That's right. Constant deliverances in our experience based upon the one time in opposition in Hebrews 10.10 10, and in Hebrews 10 and verse 14. He's perfected forever them that are set apart, sanctified in Christ. That's, that's Hebrews 10 and verse 14. That is the fulfillment of the beautiful prayer of Jesus Christ in John chapter 17 in those 26 verses based upon what Christ has accomplished to his Father in propitiation for us as the substitute reconciling us to him forever, for all eternity. Now here's verse 29. But unto you it is given on the behalf of Christ. Listen to this one. Not only to believe on him, to trust him for everything and rely on him for everything and depend on him in absolute humility as he gives us the grace to do it, but also to suffer for his sake. That's what's going on over there. Those precious people in us too. It's outward with them intensely like it was for years when Jesus walked the face of the earth and that outward persecution for years that went on as is brought out in Revelations chapters 2 and 3 the intensity of church history and the things that they suffered. It was to suffer for his sake. Having the same what? Conflict. We all have that in Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. We have that, specifically 10 to 17. Having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. We all have a measure of this conflict. Simply because Christ is in us, we're going to suffer but do it righteously. And, we, and then we'll groan even in that. We will groan because of the evil. We will. We will groan. 
But this is what Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. That's very specific, by the way. For you. I've designed it for you. And I will come again and receive you unto myself. What an amazing thing. And when he says, receive you unto myself, that's what's brought out in Revelations 2 and verse 17. I will sup with you for all eternity. And that mystery, that hidden, that hidden manna, the hidden manna when no one else was around, no one else was there, and your tears, and he was weeping in intercession for you in those times is going to be brought out, and it's a part of your eternal history and the depth of your intimacy of fellowshipping with him. All that groaning and suffering, all it brought out was the intensity and intimacy of his love. And what that enemy meant for evil in Genesis 50 and verse 20, God meant for his good which concerned you in Christ. And, I've, and, I, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, notice that, you may be also. And where I go, you know, and you know it, and the way you know. And what a beautiful thing this is. And that's why, as we just wrap this up uh, this morning, what, what a tremendous thing, what a tremendous thing, the moments that God has given us in time. Time is made up of moments. A moment, according to Bell Laboratories, in GE Laboratories, when it talks about the rapture in 1 Corinthians 15, 51, and 52, it's between, and this is what they say, between 11 one-hundredths and 14 one-hundredths of a second. Blink your eyes. Literally. And what that's saying is, especially with these precious people when they suffer and some separated from their loved ones and the tears and, and, and so forth, those that are in Christ and have received him. And what a great opportunity for those that haven't. And what the enemy meant for evil, even against them, God meant for good, the moment of their opportunity. And, and that maybe, and just maybe for multitudes, that's what it took for them to turn to God. Maybe. I, and I don't say maybe. I say that's him. That's, that's our precious Savior. And so when we think about these things... And, and the beauty of them. Uh, our life is made up of moments. And moments, moments, okay? And in and, and 2 Corinthians 5, 7, at, uh, 5, 8, I should say, 2 Corinthians 5, 8, absent from the body, blink your eyes. For some of those, instantly they die physically. Those that are his, instantly in his presence. Instantly. Blink your eyes. You're going to talk about the speed of sound, the speed of light. How about the speed of his love bringing us to him in the blink of an eye? Blink your eyes. They say even snapping your finger is even quicker than the blink of the eye. So that's pretty interesting. <laughs> Snap your fingers and you're there for all those precious people. But these moments, they're very, very, very interesting to us. And that's why the enemy, he constantly wants to bring in fear. Because we know in 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us he hasn't given us individually a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a very well-disciplined mind, knowing how to think, even through these times of suffering. He hasn't given us a spirit of fear. But so, the, truthfully, the moment that you and I get away from his presence, and that's what I was thinking this morning, I set the Lord before my face. 
Whatever, listen, whatever we face, Christ is there to face it with us. Because he said in Hebrews 13, 5, in a triple salutation, I will never, no, never, no, ever, ever leave you nor forsake you. I won't do it. I will never do it. But the moment we get away, and that's why, again, in Psalm 16 and verse 8, I've set the Lord before my face. Because he's at my right hand, because I'm experiencing who he is right with me, huh? what happens? I will never be moved. Though the earth shakes, though everything around me is shaking, I'll never be moved. I'll never. And he'll even remove the things in me. In Hebrews 12, 24 to 29, he'll only remove in me things that can be shaken. He never rejects who we are in Christ. He'll always remove what can be shaken because what can be shaken in us is not who we are in Christ. And he'll do that. But the moment we get away from his presence, in Psalm 16, verse 11, in your presence is the what? Fullness of joy. And at your right hand, where Christ sits, there are pleasures forevermore. Evermore, constant the pleasures that his love has so graciously given us. But the moment we get away from the presence of God, what happens? There's certain workings of our own thoughts. And are they our thoughts? And they're within us. But you know, experientially, when our, in these moments, that, and moments just reveal who we trust. God, listen, God has given us moments in time to reveal who we trust. Huh? And when we trust and when we obey, what do we experience? His so great love for us. That love that's positioned us and placed us in Christ, but now we experience it. And what the enemy means for evil, right there, God means for our good. Think about it. Opportunities. And so the enemy wants to keep us experientially from, by the thoughts that he can, tries to convince us that are our thoughts, because then in those thoughts, try and reach up to his thoughts of grace. We can't. That's why Jesus came down in John 3 and verse 27, right down into our midst. That's even John 1 and verse 14, what it's revealing. That moment. And then when we are in our own thoughts, it's utterly impossible for you and I to draw any kind of a right conclusion. Nothing makes any sense, does it? Outside, listen, the sense of his presence. And the sense of his presence for us is that first we've been positioned in Christ, but to experience it, we must have grace. We must have it. That's why even these things that we see, uh, the things that are going on in Ukraine, God has used beautifully in my own life to humble me. He, he has, without any question about it. In, sp in even specific areas of my life, He's used it to humble me. And even that is a, is, is, a, is a beautiful part of groaning and suffering righteously and doing it the right way. But it's impossible for, for, for anything to make sense to us outside the, the sense of God's presence. And the only way we sense his presence is through his grace. And who does God give grace to? In 1 Peter 5 and verse 6, right? And in James 4 and verse 6 through 10, God gives grace to those that he's humbled. And you may see, you may think the enemy's in control of this that's going on. No, he is, they are not in control because we have the book of Job to even look at. Everything, all the, 
the hatred and evil and opposition and, and adversarial things that came against Job. Came against him. Eh? What did it work out? Was God against him in and through that? Is he against them in and through that? Nope. Nope. It's the greatest opportunity. Yes, and we will weep and continue to weep and pray for them continually. And, and, and just, just think about those that aren't saved in our own neighborhoods, in our own our closest places, see? And so that's, that's the truth of having a proper foundation built in us. See, because when we see ourselves in Christ and who he is and what he's accomplished and what we were delivered from, not only delivered from, but delivered to for all eternity. Boy, if that doesn't want to make you go out and tell people about Christ, as God leads, not driven, but as God leads, what a tremendous thing. Because even in that sense, we can groan and suffer in our love and the love of Christ in us as that treasure in, our, as, in us as vessels in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. We have that privilege to do that. So the enemy knows, obviously, that it's impossible for you and I outside the sense of God's presence, through the sense of grace, because nothing makes any sense outside of grace. Nothing does at all. It's impossible for us to, to have any right conclusion about grace until we are settled and that's foundational truth, positional truth that needs to be brought into our experience. This foundational truth, these found, this foundation here that Christ is himself in each of us. Did you know you have a foundation in you and that's Christ, each of us? No, isn't that awesome? Where, where it's finished. You're founded. He's found in you and you're found in him. You are. And so we know, and God has to teach us through humility, that there's no reasoning of our own hearts, our own minds, that could ever reach up to the grace of God. Never. Never. And it's, it's for this, for the very simple reason that in order for it to flow, for it to flow for us, it has to flow through grace. And that's His love, you see? So what do we have? We have simplicity. Remember what He said? The, the, the prayer... And that was a prayer of the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul as he was teaching him about that himself. Where he said in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 2, I am jealous over you with godly jealousy for I have espoused unto you one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, I fear, not evil, but, but I fear, I'm anxious not in bad anxiety, but I have a deep concern, really, we could say that. I have a deep concern, lest by any means, by any means, as the serpent beguiled, bewitched Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. So you have this. Every, God makes everything simple to us, and the only place that happens is in his presence, the sense of his presence. And the only way we get there is through the sense of grace. And we don't get there until he humbles us. And the whole plan, even this, what's going on is designed to humble those that are his and to bring us into his presence. Because how else could we even pray for them properly? 
in a restful, trustful place. Godly sorrow with no regret in 2 Corinthians 7.10, but not worldly sorrow. Because worldly sorrow with our own thoughts always brings in what? Regret and regret. And that's what the enemy wants us to focus on. That's what these precious people, these newscasters and these precious people there, you know, they're missing. I don't believe everyone's missing it, that's for sure. But a lot are. And uh, we need to keep them in prayer too. And so as we wrap it up this morning here, we, we know that it's by the grace of God is that, that he keeps us in the power that Christ is in us in 1 Peter 1.5. We're kept by the power of God. We're kept by it. But as soon as, as soon as we leave the presence of God through our own reasonings, or what the enemy would try to convince us is our own reasonings, this, the, moment, the, the moment that we get away from that, we get occupied with sin or our sins. Then we lose the sense of grace. And we can no longer, when we lose that sense experientially, do we reckon on it? No. No. But it's ours. But this getting out for these moments, remember moments, and we'll finish this up, the, I believe, Tuesday and Friday, and possibly, and I, I really believe so, Wednesday night as we close. But this getting out of God's presence is the source of all our weaknesses, saints. That's experience. That's what Hebrews 12, verse 1 says. Let us lay aside every weight in the sin that does so easily entangle us in the race. Right? Because of what? Every weight. Because is weakness sin? No. Is weakness sin? No. But when we don't have his power, and the sense of grace and the sense of his presence and his love, then what? We enter into sin and get tripped up in the race. Then we're not going forward. What does the enemy want us to do in moments? You know, long before the prodigal ever actually physically left the house of his father, mentally he did. And he left. And you know why? Because he did not know his father's heart. He didn't know it. In Luke 15, 11 to 32. And so, but that, but that getting out of his presence is the source of all our weaknesses, those that are his. For in God's strength, we can do anything. Why? Philippians 4 and verse 13, I can do all things through Christ, which makes me mighty, which makes me like dynamite, explosive power. The enemy says you can't. You can't. And humility comes in and, and says, yes, you can't. But here's the grace that can cause you to do it. The cause of God's love. And so, God for us, who can be against us? If God for us, who can be against us? God for me? Does it even matter? No. Nope. But the moment we get out of God's presence, remember, moments reveal who we trust. Is it our thoughts? Outside of Christ, thought, the Father's thoughts in Christ towards us by the power of the Holy Spirit. The moment we get out of God's presence, we no longer can rest experientially. We no longer rest on his grace when in communion with him. See, the only place we can rest is when we're in communion and intimacy with him in an exchange of a love life that nothing can disturb or distract. The moment we get out of his presence, 
we, we start having these troubling, disturbing thoughts. And even viewing what's going on in the earth, even that, we start respecting the evil that's around us. We start giving it place and become overwhelmed with it. There is a sorrow that we can have, and that is right, being conscious of that evil, the misery and ruin that that evil brings and everything in it. But Jesus, when he groaned in spirit and he was troubled, and he was, he did. But it is impossible, and we'll close with this thought, but it is impossible when we are abiding in the sense of God's presence for anything does not matter what it is, even the condition and state of the church to shake us. For we count on God, we reckon on him. That's Romans 8, 18. I reckon, logizomai, I reckon that the present sufferings of this time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed in us and on us. We, we reckon on that. We count on God and then all things become what? Just a, a, a place, a location a location and scene for the operation of God's grace. Amen? So, Father, we thank you and praise you for these thoughts that are so many that we, I just believe that, that you need to share with us uh, these days coming up this week. And, and we're just so thankful, Father. And we do pray again for those precious people. Here we are gathering without any fear still being supplied with so much that you've given us. And Father, I do pray as I watch moms and dads and families being separated, not even knowing where they're going to end up, but they're running and they're going for fear for, for, because of the evil one manifesting himself through an individual. And not just him, but many. And Father, we just pray for them. I pray for the the local assemblies that you have established there, that you yourself has established, and those are your local assemblies, they're no one else's. They're your local assemblies. And Father, you will be faithful. You will be faithful because you've called them. And whom you've called, you will preserve and you are preserving and bringing them on their way. But just bless them. Please meet their physical needs. Comfort their hearts. Please keep back the evil as much as much as is in the perfection of your plan and in your will and prophecy, Father. But just comfort them and be with them. We just pray, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.